Happy Monday! With so many male-identified makeup artists, influencers, etc. wearing makeup, it poses the question, why did they stop wearing it in the first place? I'm sure you have some thoughts, as do I, but I thought it would be fun to take a little dive. So sit back, relax, and enjoy while the pendulum swings to the masculine side of Beauty Reform School. Oh, hi. You stumbled across Beauty Reform School, the podcast that explores beauty, style, reinvention, self-care, all from the perspective of the outside looking in. We pick apart the classics so you can confidently break the mold. And I'm your host, Bad Bad PJ Brown, the artist, the educator, the retail grunt, the problem child, the one who's done it the hard way for decades, and now I'm passing the savings on to you. So bring me your tired, your confused, your weirdos, your others yearning to breathe free. And if this sounds like you, grab your pen and grab your scratch pad, and let's figure this crap out together, right here at Beauty Reform School. As for brass tacks, I would have loved to have had an interview on with a lovely makeup wearing male, but it just wasn't in the cards this week. However, you can still listen to the Painted Mask episode with makeup artist Clint Brock that is in our catalog if you'd like to hear a little bit more. So I'm going to keep it fairly short in the brass tack section this week. Given the current events I've been thinking, sometimes it's okay to just take a moment to yourself to process, to quietly deal with whatever is going on on the inside. And even though, well, every thought you have doesn't need to be made known. If you feel like you're sad, full of rage or even just confused it's okay to deal with those feelings quietly by yourself if you want to so I'm opting to do that this week I don't feel the need to comment on current events if you're struggling though I want you to know that I'm thinking about you and I honor wherever you are in your process If you're not feeling as effective as others and you see um, and you see that they are going through a lot right now, give them space and allow them to come to you if or when they need to. That being said, let's leave this right here and move on. Next up is going to be a quick word about our Patreon. I've had a few people ask me about consultations and advice, and I have good news. Beauty Reform School now has a Patreon. 
Different tiers will give you different opportunities. You can contribute in small ways to offer support and help fund the production of the podcast, or you can contribute in larger ways and book one of the consultations with yours truly from everything from natural tutorial consultations to brand recommendations, troubleshooting, and advice. My very favorite is the mirror consultation where I will walk you through step-by-step how to do a particular beauty application. I'll even demonstrate as we go. Your support will provide much needed things like helping with production costs, equipment, and hopefully one day being able to hire more staff. More staff leads to more services and hopefully one day, even live shows. So go on over to patreon.com and sign up if you can. Did I mention you get a shout out on the podcast? Well, you do. Resources for today's episode are from Reddit, GQ.com, and Birdie.com. And now, without further ado, let's get into this episode. So if you're speaking strictly about Western society, it would have been around the early 19th century. At this point, men were still using rice powder on their faces for a whiter complexion, but no longer used rouge or other cosmetics. Makeup for women in this century were considered an improper lowercase exercise due to more Victorian morals of the time. As to why men stopped wearing makeup, there was a general movement towards starkness in male dress made famous by Beau Brimham. The trend was to reject ornate dresses that the males of previous centuries in in favor of basic colors and a good tailored fit. Man lines was becoming less about the flowery and more about the stark basics. And that trend has pretty much stayed with us until today. In a 2021 GQ article by Colin Groundwater, he references David Yee, the founder of A Very Good Light, or I'm sorry, Very Good Light. Yee explains that before the 18th century, there weren't such clear fashion distinctions between men and women. Then came something historians called the great male reunication, emerging from an enlightenment obsession with studying and taxon, what's that word? Taxonomizing, taxonomizing, okay. Scientists and philosophers showed a new obsession with differences between men and women. This was eventually reflected in policy and public debate. In the U.S., William Henry Harrison unseated President Martin Van Buren, representing himself as a manly alternative to the New Yorker governor who kept makeup in the Oval Office. Makeup in the Oval Office! Ah, I love it! In England, makeup could be sentenced to hard labor and imprisonment for wearing powder or dresses. Okay. These rigid gender binaries were exported around the world thanks to the Victorian colonialism 
and the two world wars. The great male reunification was a time when men abandoned their claim to be considered beautiful and henceforth aimed to only be useful. Hmm. Women were being marginalized and men who refused to conform to enlightenment thinking were being silenced. Well, there it is. That's it. That's how it started. The rise of the advertising industry and the wave of advances in chemistry in the late 19 and early 20th centuries contributed to makeup's associations with femininity. Print media were especially important to impressing upon women the need to use cosmetics in the early 20th century, and newspaper columnists were ready to advise ladies of how best to apply new products. In 1929, actress Claire Hardwick declared makeup a modern necessity. No woman can do without it. This was a new attitude. For much of the 19th century, visible makeup was taken as an indicator of low morals, though at this time, beauty salons did discreetly sell cosmetics, think skin cream, not bright purple lipstick, on a small scale. It was not until 1909 in Britain that London's Selfridges on Oxford Street began openly displaying rouge. The change really comes down to ingenious advertising. Advances in production that made cosmetics affordable and accessible and a wide culture of consumerism. Interestingly, by the interwar period, makeup had in Britain become so exclusively associated with women and femininity that for a man to simply be in possession of a powder puff could land him in jail. Queer men who at the time frequently described themselves as having a feminine nature adopted women's use of makeup to express this femininity. Under the 1885 Criminal Law Act, any type of gross indecency, quote unquote, between or among men was illegal. Prostitution also was illegal. This would be a good time for me to uh, remind everyone that we do not call it prostitution. We call it sex work, but that is the term that was on the research. So I'm just reading it as it is, but know that we do call it sex work now. That is not just wanted to put that out there. Thus comes the case of Thomas B. arrested on the strain in 1924 for importing male persons for an immoral purpose after he was discovered accosting, probably meaning speaking to multiple men in the area whilst in possession of a mirror powder and a powder puff. These cosmetic opt only strengthened the Crown's case against Mr. B as the man who owned a powder puff was effeminate and the effeminate man possessed illicit sexual desires such a man was in police jargon of the male importuning type. The case of Thomas B serves as an indicator of the strong associations between cosmetic 
paraphernalia and femininity in the interwar period and the ways in which mainstream female uses of makeup could be queered. If you want to read more about that, though, Matt Holbrook wrote The Man with the Powder Puff. Um, it's located in the Historical Journal, 50 March 20, 2007. So it's something that you can read if you want to read more. Uh, okay. For the first time in centuries, men wearing makeup is not completely taboo. Thanks to social media and the emergence of male beauty influencers like Manny Gutierrez and Bretman Rock, makeup is in the early stages of becoming more gender inclusive. This concept, however, is hardly new. For generations, makeup has been seen as a girl's only enterprise, so we forget that it wasn't always this way. For millennia, stretching from four thousand BCE through the 18th century, men traditionally used makeup in myriad ways. It wasn't until the mid 1800s that makeup was relegated to one of the genders to one end of the gender spectrum. And at that time, the influential Queen, Queen Victoria I of Great Britain deemed cosmetics vulgar a view corroborated by the Church of England. And during the Victorian era, makeup was considered an abomination by both the crown and the church, creating strong, widespread associations between makeup, vanity, femininity, and my favorite, the devil's work. As religious values continued to permeate cultures around the world, mainstream definitions of masculinity narrowed. By the 20th century, makeup was seen as a girl's only pursuit. Today, the world is finally coming back around and growing to accept different gender expressions. We hope the trend continues, but society can't move forward without looking back. All right. So, masculinity was important in ancient Egyptian culture and makeup actually played a role in that. As early as 4,000 BCE, men used black pigment to create elaborate cat-eye designs. A few millennia later, coal liner, green malachite eyeshadow, and lip and cheek stains made from red okra were also popular. The purpose was not what it is today, which was to look more attractive. Green eyeshadow was believed to evoke the gods Horus and Ra, and therefore ward off harmful illnesses. Dramatic eyeliner was customarily worn to communicate wealth and status. Fast forward to the first century AD when Roman men were known to apply red pigment to their cheeks, lighten their skin with powder, and paint their nails using a stomach-turning elixir of pig fat and blood. Ooh. Makes you grateful for the five free nail polishes of today, eh? Roman men also painted their heads to camouflage bald spots, although we're not sure how well that would have worked. Now, during Queen Elizabeth I's rule, makeup was wildly popular among men who valued ghost white powdered skin. 
This was also when face makeup was dangerously cakey and made with lead, which often caused serious health problems, including, but not limited to, premature death. In 18th century France, it's no secret that King Louis partook of the extravagance of makeup and hair products. That's the King Louis VI. Um, he went bald at the age of 23, by the way, and subsequently forced the aristocracy of France into an obsession with wigs. Men of the royal court also painted on beauty marks, which paired nicely with their high heels and fur muffs. <laughs> a long period of time elapsed before male vanity was spoken of again, thanks Queen Victoria. After Queen Elizabeth's rule, makeup fell out of favor, partly because it was so dangerous and literally toxic to wear. Now, uh, Queen Victoria came along. She deemed wearing makeup, excessive makeup, as impolite associated with and shaming sex workers, naturally. So men, as well as women, backed off a little bit longer until the makeup industry modernized. And by modernized, we mean removed all the lead in the late 19th and early 20th century. However, when it did come back in public favor in the early 20th century, makeup advertising was entirely focused on women, not men. So really, Advertising is the reason why makeup has turned into an entirely gendered practice, creating a culture in which only women were targeted as makeup wearers, leaving men and everyone else out. But with the arrival of modern movie making in the United States, hair and makeup for men reemerged. Clark Gable's polished look was perhaps the first example of metrosexual beauty. Through the later 20th century, makeup for men was hardly mainstream. Instead, it was reserved for the fringe artists and rock and rollers like Boy George and David Bowie and Prince. Around this time, though, many of the most legendary male makeup artists began working in the field. The late Way Banzi began his work in 1967, followed by Kevin Aquan in 1982, and a plethora of male makeup artists followed suit. One such artist was Scott Barnes, whose brushes have graced about every big name in Hollywood. And when asked whether he's seen a change in the men behind the scenes in makeup, Barnes responded to us with a gender-subverting revelation. There have always been men as makeup artists. Actually, right now, there are more female makeup artists than ever before. As American pop culture figures began to embrace past subcultures in the early to mid-2000s, we were introduced to the concept of guyliner. Think Pete Wentz, Jared Leto, and Adam Lambert. This look was most popular among pop-punk bands and their followers, and the concept of metrosexuality also re-entered the cultural consciousness at this time, and beauty brands began to release targeted, quote, makeup for men, end quote. Considered Yves Saint Laurent, which released the male version of its Touche Claw in 2008. Now, in the 2010s, makeup for men was 
in no by no means the standard. Social media, though, had allowed male beauty girls to share their artistic expression on a large scale, helping to break down centuries-old stereotypes. Major beauty companies like CoverGirl and Maybelline took notice and announced the first male faces on their brands. Makeup has evolved through the years, says Barnes, who's currently who currently primarily works with JLo. And he says it used only to be for the stage and screen, and now men are using bronzers and various forms of cosmetics to clear up imperfections, etc. And they have found a way to use makeup very simply and organically to create everyday looks for themselves without any stigmas behind it. As the rules of gender presentation become more and more flexible, makeup continues to slowly infiltrate some men's everyday routines not necessarily always in the larger-than-life fashion of YouTube gurus, but in subtler ways. Skincare is much less stigmatized, but the acceptance extends to color cosmetics as well. A little concealer on a blemish here, a little brow there. I'll be the first to tell you that I know a lot of men who are still very nervous about something even as basic as plain old grooming and skincare and hair care because of that stigma. That stigma still stands and it still affects people. A lot of people have stepped away from it, but a lot of people still are struggling. And I'm hoping that one of these days we can change that because I'll be the first to tell you. If, if you haven't heard it before, you've heard you're hearing it here. Please, use moisturizer and lotion, man. Condition your hair. Trim your nails. Please. Warm regards. Me. <laughs> Barnes also makes a point to note that what we see in the West isn't always the case for the rest of the world. Japanese youth culture has always worn makeup as an accessory or an expression of excitement or fun with no rules or gender behind it. Makeup doesn't always mean femininity, not in this day and age. You also have boys with beards wearing full faces of makeup and it's acceptable. Gender neutral ad companies from brands like Milk Makeup help de the denaturalization of makeup as a feminine endeavor and Barnes paints an even more exciting vision for the future as well. The industry has changed so much. There's so much room for merchants and new brands and social media has played a big part in that change. There's more accessibility. And personally, we can't wait to see what comes next. Same, honey. Same. I thought we would wrap up with an article that I found on The Guardian, which was really interesting. It's like a first-person account of um, someone who's male-identified who tried on makeup for the first time and who wears makeup now. So um, it's really great. Um, it's by Priya Elon. So here we go. Wrote this in 2020. He says, the first time I tried on makeup, I was six years old and my older sister decided to cover me in sickly raspberry covered, colored glittery lipstick following the more is better mantra and the ethos. It's not if it's not on the hip, the lips, it's around the lips. <laughs> As I was presented to my parents like a trussed up lamb to the slaughter beamed in from Laboratoire Garnier Paris, 
The reaction was resoundingly reticent. Things turned into a pinter play. My father was quietly horrified, refusing to talk for about mm, six hours, and the incident was largely ignored by my mother, who retired to the kitchen to gently throttle a meter of pastry. In the silent judgment that followed, I picked up on the vibe. Boys don't wear makeup. Clearly, I wasn't born with it. Whatever the Maybelline advert may say. My next encounters with makeup were equally bizarre, mainly in various school plays wearing the discolored tones of bronzer looking like a child beauty pageant queen, and didn't dislodge this idea. The word makeup has such female connotations. Stephanie Marie, the makeup artist who has worked with Rihanna, Jennifer Lopez, and Emma Watson told Vogue Home last year. No man wants to admit he's wearing makeup, as that would necessarily imply that he's becoming more feminine. And yet today, something, i.e. my big face, is looking very different. You look really good, a friend says, quickly eyeing my face to work out why. It's New Year's Eve, and nervously, I've taken the plunge. I'm wearing a subtle layer of male-specific makeup, concealer under my eyes, and tinted moisturizer on my face. It's hard to put on with facial hair, my wife says, as she dabbed the stuff on me earlier in the day. I consider myself in the mirror and look as if I've used a very flattering Instagram on my face. My wife looks disparagingly at me and says this out loud. When I say this out loud, she disagrees. That's a nice sentence, but you look the same. And she's right. In my neurotic panic at being found out for painting my face, I didn't really factor in the possibility that absolutely no one would notice, which shows how far men's makeup has come. Euromonitor predicts that men's grooming and beauty market will be worth more than... What is is that number? Oh, $49 A quadruple rise from what it generated in... Well, 49 billion pounds this year, a quadruple rise from what it generated in 2015. A decade ago, the attitude towards it was a hornet's nest of humor, incredulity and wait, incredul what's that word? Incredulity? Oh, okay, okay, and anger, huh? Back then, men's makeup was virtually unheard of and men were very much in the mindset that they had to be stereotypical hurly-burly blokes, says Alex Daly, who launched male beauty company MMUK in 2011. The average male grooming routine for men at the time was perhaps a shampoo and shower gel and maybe a moisturizer for the forward thinkers. And that and at that time, the concept of MMUK was almost offensive to people and judged as an attack on their masculinity. As a mumsnet thread on Superdrug's men's beauty line illustrates, what the F is going on? I'm sorry, but I like my men a bit cavemanish. Makeup? Come on. I don't mind a bit of Nivea moisturizer on my man, but makeup? Next, I'll be wanting to wear my underwear. Doubtful. Even we don't want to wear our underwear nowadays. That's a story for another day.
2017, barely concealed. Um, wait, I don't know what that word is, and I'm not going to say it because I don't like it. Anyway, they greeted the reveal that French President Emmanuel Macron spent 26,000 pounds on, or 22,000 pounds on, oh, euros. Okay, that's the, that's the symbol, sorry. <laughs> um, they spent 26,000 euros, which is 22,000 pounds on makeup in his first three months in office. And in December, the Washington Post hinted that Donald Trump, uh, you got me. I don't like saying his name on my podcast. Anyway, he used bronze color concealer, which was gleefully reported somewhere. In the early days of MMUK, Daily says that they would operate like an undercover operation. Many customers would use different names when ordering and ask that their parcels be delivered in plain envelopes with no reference to makeup on them whatsoever. Discretion was paramount for customers when we began building the brand and helping men find the right products. It was tricky for an online business. Um, the pro- there was a product that the writer tried for New Year's Eve. The packaging was in was no nonsense and discreet, discreet in black and white. And their online ad is a bid for everyday wash and go style usage. In a massively tattooed Harry Styles lookalike, goes in for a baptismal shower. It's a shot like an ad for both the Army Reserve and Head and Shoulders. As he steps out, he puts on moisturizer and concealer alongside his skull ring and his leather jacket. I'm obsessed by the name of this brand. And it's real makeup for real blokes angle. I click on the About Us tab and the story of founder Danny Gray. And it's a story of overcoming adversity. BDD, body dysmorphic disorder. And at the end of his story, it's linked to Calm the anti-suicide charity and I'm in no way saying that his makeup is a cure for bullies or a miracle serum for low self-esteem but using makeup has really helped me manage my BDD. Now I'm going to pause here because this is really important. The reason I skipped over the name of the product was because I have a problem with it and a deep-rooted problem. When I was trying to name this podcast, I was going to use this name. Now, this was way, 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 way before the podcast even came to light. This was in the brainstorming stage. And I was like, this would be such a great name. And the minute it came out of my mouth, I stopped myself because I I heard it right then and there. I said, "Uh uh-uh, I can't use that name at all. I like the idea of it. I like the theory of it but I can't use it. And in the name of transparency and in the way, in the name of education, let's talk about that for a second. So the original name that I was thinking of when I was throwing names around to decide what I was going to name this podcast was in fact, and I am very ashamed to admit it, was Warpaint. And the reason that I wanted to name it Warpaint, obvious reasons, you think to yourself, well, it makes sense. I wanted to name it that because I want to put, you know, I want to want to arm everybody with 
beauty education and knowledge and I wanted people to take on a new uh, view of makeup and using it as a weapon and going out into battle, which is the world that we live in. And yes, that's all great, but it is highly, highly insensitive to the Native American community. So I immediately trashed it. Didn't even make it didn't even make it into my top my top five or my top ten for that matter names for this podcast and I remember feeling like some kind of way like I'm like I can't even believe you even thought about that how dare you you shouldn't have done that and I was able to just keep it to myself and not even use it and just move on with my life and I'm glad that I was able to catch myself and think about that before I even started this podcast. But I noticed that some people still like to use that term. Some people still like to use it. And now there's this product that's called that as well. And at first I was just going to skip over it, but he was talking about how great this brand was, and I'm sure it is. And I'm sure his story of um, overcoming adversity was great as well. But... I just wanted to point out that it is it is disrespectful to use those kind of titles without doing the proper research and the origins of those titles and where they came from and to just I guess it's just a thing to say like I made a mistake I learned from it maybe we maybe we do better Maybe we just all do better. So just putting it out there. Maybe we should all do better. Sometimes it's really cool to do something that was based off of a different culture and you, you, something resonated with you or you admired something. But it is also our responsibility to do some research on it and to think about it. So food for thought. Uh, yeah, food for thought. Now, before we go, if you are male identifying and you're wondering the best ways to do makeup for yourself, the answer is very similar. First things first, skincare is a must. After that, you have to decide with intention what you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to correct or if you're trying to enhance, those are going to determine what you're going to need or require. If you're wondering what's the best kind of makeup for you to use, the answer is any. But it is also based off of your skin type. If you have drier skin, of course, you want to go for a cream base. If you have... um, If you have a very, very oily skin, you can go with something a little more matte. When you're using something under the eye, however, you want to go something right down the middle to begin with just to try because things that are more matte under the eye tend to crease. You can fix some of that with a little eye cream or a little eye serum, but if you're not ready to do all of that just yet, then I recommend something that is definitely less matte, something definitely on the creamier side. And you might wanna set that with something 
because it will because under the eye area moves around a lot and you might run into creasing and especially as we are going into the summer months you may sweat the makeup will move around so it's it's something to think about and nowadays happily you can go into almost any makeup store and get assistance from a makeup professional and they'll give you all kinds of helpful tips and tricks and that is for anything from a very natural look to a very otherworldly unnatural look so if you want to explore it you can you can start comfortably by doing something in-house like looking on the internet or you can venture out and try something and we've created a lot of space spaces I'm happy to report so happy hunting I hope you enjoyed this episode as always it was a pleasure bringing it to you and I'm always on the lookout for your stories you know you know the ones the uh the horror stories the creatives who are doing wonderful things really anything that inspires or gives helpful hints or even makes us laugh there's always something new to explore and always something great to talk about so send those stories my way send those people my way and if you don't know how to do that you can do it in one of three ways at facebook beauty reform school instagram also beauty reform school or you can go right to the source at beautyreformschool.com and if you have already please if you haven't already please remember to like share review anything they asked us any hoop they ask us to jump through on this here and Annette. i know it's tedious but it keeps us alive in the algorithm and it gives us a chance to be found by people just like you And best of all, it helps us grow our little community. So thank you so much for your listenership. And thank you in advance for your listenership in the future. And pencils down, classes dismissed, and I'll see you next week.